That is a fact. The devil is a liar. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Just what you wanted to see, wasn't it? Just what you wanted to hear. Talk about lying this morning. Well, we're going to have to pray. Welcome to Church at the Red Door. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, we cling to your word. We talked about it last week, Lord. We don't want to live in the futility or walk in the futility of our minds. We don't want to be earthbound in our thinking. We don't want to think beyond this little sphere down here. We seem so inconsequential relative to the entirety of your universe, your cosmos. Lord, we, we bow before you. We trust that you are the creator and in being the creator that everything that comes out of your mouth, everything that you've spoken through the prophets, through the apostles, for thousands of years, Lord, is exactly representative of your will. It's a bold claim, Lord, but we trust it at Church at the Red Door. Our authority is your word. Our authority, obviously, is your Holy Spirit, but it's our ability to understand your word. So be with us this day. Help us understand as you speak to us your creation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You ready for this? Huh? Listen, I mean, this is going to be good this morning. You say, well, you say that every week. Well, the word's always good. I'm not saying I'm going to be good. I'm just saying this word is going to be good. All right? So when I, we're going to talk a little bit about lying, but I want to go back to the text. So we're going, for those of you who are new, we're uh, going through this letter to the Ephesians. And uh, we're going to go all the way back to, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, and I want you to look to verse 22. And that's where we're going to start this morning. Interesting concept here. Listen to the language, verse 22. It says, in reference to your former manner of life. Now, some of you may not have a former manner of life. You may be still exploring the Jesus option. Hopefully not just Christianity, but more specifically Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. That's just a really strong craving, epithumia, that that word in the Greek that we looked at last week that just means I've got to have it, I've got to have it, and it's deceitful, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God, now notice that, the new self is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And that's kind of where we finished last week. Now, I want to go into that a little bit more deeply. There's a three-step process that if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be fully engaged in. What is that? Well, first of all, it's laying aside the old self. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about what that means and the implications. That just means to really turn and embrace Jesus. And now, secondly, I want you to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, to be made new, and we have to use our minds to do that. And then lastly, don't just lay aside, but put on. There's a lot of, you know, religion is very much about taking off, stripping you down, but not necessarily a feeling of putting anything back on, 
Religion can do that to you. If you've, if you've engaged with religion outside of a relationship, you may have felt stripped. You may have felt kind of a deep sense of loss. And there is loss in this, as we'll see. But it's only lost for a little while, and then we begin to engage in putting on. And that's the third part of this, which is then to put on the new self. That's really a determination. There's a couple of metaphors we'll look at, but that's putting on like new clothes. It's a picture of being holy as Christ is holy or the Father is holy. Jesus said, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. These are, these are holy garments. And we're going to look at that. So let's talk about this imagery first of taking off the old clothes, the old self, put it away. You know, uh, Isaiah chapter 64 says that our righteous acts are like filthy garments. I mean, so a lot of people run around and they feel clothed, but in fact, they're naked. In fact, they're walking around in rags, holes in their clothes, and yet they feel, well, if there is a God, he's certainly got to like me because I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm acting. My behavior's good. One of the things we learn here is that the cross is really at the epicenter of the whole Christian story, and that's really a picture of why the cross, well, it, it's, it was necessary, not just for one person, but for the entire world. So that's what we're going to look at as well. So I want you to go to Romans 13, if you will. Romans 13, going to get this language. So we're going to be talking about taking off the old or putting away the old self and then getting into the new. Romans 13 verse 14 simply says, put on, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its cravings, its overwhelming sense. Your, your, let me tell you something. Your flesh, as we noted, is being corrupted, is being corrupted, is being corrupted. Your flesh never going to change. We talked about that a little bit last week. It's just not. Your flesh is always going to want what your flesh wants. Your flesh is never going to want to spend time in the Word. Your flesh just doesn't even want to come here. It would much rather sleep in like the 1030 service people do. I mean, it wants to, no, seriously. I mean, your, fle- your, flesh, your flesh is always fighting against the things of the Spirit. Don't imagine that's not true for everyone. Whoever you put up there as being someone who's a real spiritual, spiritually mature person, like a Billy Graham, I can tell you, Billy Graham, till the day he went to be with the Father, the, the day he ascended in a Back to the Father, I will tell you that he struggled with his flesh. I mean, he had a, n- numerous regrets. A lot of times we think, you know, people like that, they, they don't even struggle like we struggle. Well, he was still in his flesh. Now, you can subdue the flesh. You can beat it into submission in a sense. Your spirit must dominate your flesh, but it is being corrupted. Now it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does that even mean? Make no provision for the flesh. Galatians 3.27, for all of you were baptized into Christ, having what? Clothed yourselves with Christ. So we see this metaphor emerging of putting on uh, garments, uh, putting on Jesus. Uh, It's something like you wrap yourself in. And I want to go and take you just through a quick tour, not, not, not an exhaustive tour, but a number of places through Old and New Testament that we get a picture of, specifically more the Old Testament this morning, where we get a picture of this is always something God was talking about. It's not about you just trying to give it the good old college try or be righteous or, you know, it's not about that. You have to be clothed in Christ. 
Think about it. Go all the way back to the garden. Think about Adam and Eve. We've talked about this at various points. They fell away from the Father. They became naked, and it was the first time that they recognized their own nakedness. They were naked before, but they were walking in righteousness in a beautiful relationship with the creator of the universe. And then the liar came in. Satan came as the liar, and he stepped in, and they fell, and they went for it. They bought into it, or I should say they bit into it. And what happened? They recognized their own nakedness. And what did God do immediately? We see it in Genesis 3. He killed some animals and clothed them in animal skin. So, again, this is a prefiguring of the cross. This is blood being shed to cover them. Right there in Genesis 3. It's an amazing picture. If you've got a Jewish friend, you can take them to Genesis 3 if they don't yet know Jesus. In their book, and say, here it is. Right when they fell, God began to give us a pattern for what his desire was, and that was to cover us, the fallen human family, and all that would descend from Adam in his blood, in, in animal skins. It was a picture right off the bat of the crucifixion that would come thousands of years later. Amazing. How about Shem and Japheth? They were Noah's kids, and if you'll remember the story, they were had come out, and here, here they are, and, and what does Noah do after he's, God's wiped out the entire earth? And, and, well, at least a picture of that, depending on your view of that, but it wipes out the earth, and he goes into his tent, and he gets drunk, and then he's naked. And Ham comes in, and he goes out, and he tells his brother, there's, a, there's kind of uh, implicit within the Hebrew there, it's kind of a picture that he may have actually been mocking his own father. Certainly, he disclosed it. And then Shem and Japheth walks, walk in backwards. Yeah, no, it was his fault. He was drunk. But they walk in backwards and they cover their father. Ham was cursed and his descendants. That's where we get the Canaanites came from, the descendants of Ham. And then Shem and Japheth were, were blessed. God finds Israel naked and he clothed her, it says in the prophet Ezekiel. Joshua, the high priest, very interesting story. In fact, I feel compelled. Let's go to Zechariah 3. I don't think it'll come up behind me here because I didn't give it to the guys to look at. But Zechariah chapter 3 is a, is a provocative look at something that occurred here that's very strange. And the whole gospel's here, by the way, in Zechariah. Now, Zechariah, if you'll remember, was prophesying about the time of Haggai. And they were prophesying about this new temple that would be built. Zechariah, if you'll remember, had some amazing things to say, like, don't despise the day of small beginnings. And he was trying to encourage them to rebuild the temple. This is, and then there's this interesting little insertion here in chapter 3. Verse 1 says, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And for those of you who would care to accept it, and I think most theologians would agree that that is a, that is a pre-incarnate Jesus, the angel of the Lord, as, as distinguished from an angel or an angel or even a specified angel. This is the angel of the Lord. Remember, Jesus has always been around. He just came down and descended and took the form of a man for 33 and a half years. And Satan standing at his right to accuse him. What is Satan always doing? The Bible tells us he's the accuser of the brethren. It says, and the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. I've had, by the way, I've had Jewish friends say, we don't believe in Satan. Satan's really not even really in the Bible. I'm like, well, you just don't know your Bible. <laughs> Satan's all over the Bible. He's in the prophets, major and minor, and he goes all the way back to the garden. 
And it says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? He's talking about the high priest. This is supposed to be the most holy guy on the planet. Man-wise. Joshua was what? Clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying... Remove the filthy garments from him. That's what essentially, that's what we're learning from Paul in the letter of the the Ephesians. Take off your old clothes. And again says, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. I haven't just stripped you. What have I done? I've stripped you and now I'm reclothing you. This is in the Old Testament. This is 600 years, a little less. After, before the time of Jesus. It says, then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and if you will perform my service, then you will govern my house and have charge over my courts and I will grant you free access among those who are standing here. So this is like this heavenly picture and I believe it's a pre-incarnate Jesus, and there, and Satan's accusing Joshua, the high priest, the most religious of all. I mean, he's the guy that's supposed to be representative of the nation. He says, take off his filthy clothes. Take them off. They're filthy. And put clean clothes on him. Is this not just, again, a prefiguring of the entire gospel message right here in Zechariah? That's what happens with us. We come to Jesus, and he becomes our high priest, And we're there, and we say, okay, let's remove my filthy clothes. Now you put on my new clothes. Chronicles depicts the priest as being clothed with salvation. David said, how blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. In Psalm 32, it's reiterated in Romans 4. Isaiah said, he's clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of of righteousness. Are you starting to get the picture here? This is a common metaphor in Scripture, Old and New Testament. Jesus told the parable of the wedding feast. Some of you will know. Now we'll go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 22. Let me read the story for you. A parable Jesus told. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. So if you want to know what the unseen realm is like, let me give you a a come alongside story. That's all a parable is. It's It comes alongside and tries to explain a spiritual reality. May be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat and livestock are all butchered and everything's ready and come to the wedding feast. But they didn't pay any attention. They went their own way, each one to his own farm, to his golf course, to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. And he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready for those who were invited Excuse me, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together everybody they found, both good and evil, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. 
But when the king in, came in, he took, he took a look over the dinner guests, and he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. One of the most terrifying things to me in my whole life is to imagine that somebody will have sat listening even once. But to any time I've taught or any time I've ever stood before a group of people, I don't care whether it's a thousand people or three people. And somehow, someday, they will stand before the Lord and they will be speechless. And the king says, where's his wedding clothes? How, how, why is he not clothed in Christ, those who have rejected Jesus? You say, well, it's kind of narrow. It is narrow, but it's true. It says, then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called. But few are chosen. Now, Jesus used, again, this metaphor in this parable. And he said, he, everybody's invited. Come in. But there will be a place at this wedding feast. It's called the end of time where the church, the bride, meets back up with the king of kings. And there will be this extraordinary wedding feast for those who have wedding clothes on. It's a picture of preparation. So this is part of your preparation for your afterlife. Well, actually, the beginning of your real life. And then finally, Jesus admonishes the Laodiceans all the way to buy for me gold refined with fire so that you may become rich. This is in Revelation. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and Repent, turn around, put on wedding clothes. Buy from me white garments. Buy from me. And then finally, Revelation 19, it was, and this is the, the end of time, it was given to her to clothe herself, this is the church, in fine linen, bright and clean, for the, the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So what are your clothes? It's Christ, yes, but it's also Christ working through you in the context of your life. It's the deeds. It's how, you, it's how your life is animated. Once you're clothed with Christ, Christ has you. You're encompassed by him. Once he has you and he, you're clothed, you're going to begin to walk like him, as we saw in Ephesians, in the likeness of God himself. Isn't that amazing? Now, now this is extraordinary when you think about it. I, I realize it's a metaphor, but there's so much depth to it. Now we have to ask, how's that going to happen? What do we actually engage in to do that? And that's a good question. But before we do, there's one other metaphor that's used. And what do we do with our old life? We not only take off our clothes, there's another picture of we actually crucify it. Crucify it. Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves. Do you realize when you're wearing your old filthy rags, I don't care how good you may think you are, you are still a slave. It's not until your old life is crucified in Christ that you even have a chance. You don't even have ears to hear. It's impossible for you to walk with God until you're clothed in these kinds of clothes. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So this crucifixion, when you're clothed with Christ, it's both you're being clothed, but it's also Christ living on the inside of you. These are all just various ways of attacking the same issue. Christ has to take over your body. You're going to crucify the old life. Your, your old life can't look the same. It just can't. Your, your desires are going to change. Everything about you changes. This is not something you add to your list of activities. This becomes your primary and focal picture of your whole life. Your whole intention about life changes. It's seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and then all these other things. Seek first. It's not that you have to move and you have to go down to some you know, African desert or something and just sit out there and be a, be a shaman-looking guy or a guru or a hermit or anything like that. That's not what we're talking about here. But it is a radical, radical repositioning of not only you in this world, but the way you think about everything. That's what it means to take off the old and then to put on the new. It's, a, it's an absolute crucifixion. Listen to Grant Osborne. Uh, again, one of the really profound, wonderful New Testament scholars. Listen to what he says about this process. It's, it's not easy. He says the old self, he, he, I, it says it, referring to the old self, operates through the flesh, the sin nature that's still part of us. Okay? It's been defeated, but it hasn't been destroyed. You need to understand that. Well, I think we all understand that <laughs> if we're honest. Cast out the, is, is it cast out of our new being, but still operative as a threatening outside force? Do you see your flesh as that, a threatening outside force? The battle still rages. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've, the battle for me was raging this morning. I, 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 was, I was driving here, and sometimes I'm just, I am so ready, and I'm just ready to go, and, and I feel so energized. And, some, and today I just, I was telling Anthony in the back, one of our AV guys, I said, I just don't feel on my game today. I just felt a, a kind of an oppressive spirit. What is that? I mean, we don't always walk, wake up and just go, this is incredible. I mean, I just love this. This is, everything's good. I mean, we're emotional human beings. Now, what is that? I mean, I could look back and I, who knows? Maybe it's just Satan. Maybe it's just my old flesh going, oh, you know, it's just, it's just, it's a battle and it still rages. It says, our victory must begin with a, now catch this, a studied repudiation of the old nature and its ways. Now, I want to I emphasize that. This is what we're going to get to in a minute when we use our mind. What does it mean to be renewed in your mind? This is a mental exercise. It's like going to the gym and having a trainer, and the Word and the Holy Spirit are our trainer. It's this trainer that has got to work into us, has to. It's a studied, I mean, it, we really have to use our mind. A studied repudiation of the old nature in its ways. Corruption is a process, a rotting of the senses that occurs in stages when sin goes unchecked. We're all checked by the Holy Spirit and the Word and truth-tellers in the body. Sin is a, a gangrenous disease that atrophies and then eats away the limbs, and it can be stopped only by cutting away the offending flesh. It can't be toyed with or tolerated. It has to be removed and disposed of. The process of temptation takes place through our, again, deceitful desires. It's the language Paul uses here in Ephesians chapter 4. Those self-centered impulses that seem so good in the beginning, 
but are in reality a pack of lies that would destroy us. This runs the whole gamut from greedy accumulation of possessions to sexual cravings to a desire for power and status over others. None of these will ever truly satisfy. I mean, I think we can see that in culture, can't we? I mean, does this ever work? Those with the most fame and the most money and are most likely to commit. You see them committing suicide all the time. It's staggering. And whether they do it in a very willful way or in a, just a self-destructive mode, like a Michael Jackson or somebody like that that just descends into this place, this abyss of torment, it never pays out. But they tempt us because they all seem so right, so desirable, so fraught with pleasure. It's true, doesn't it? And now, is that not a lie? That's where the renewal part has to come in. That's where the training, that's why we come here on Sundays. Now catch this, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Many of you will know it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. You get that picture of crucifixion again. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, now, so at the end of the day, we have to change our minds about everything. We, have to, we cannot continue to walk in the futility of our minds. Again, as I showed you last week, I mean, just, you got, I hope many of you came, you said, I got a picture of our galaxy, right? I mean, just how, I mean, you couldn't even find our solar system in our galaxy. And that's one galaxy of hundreds of billions of galaxies. It's staggering. Billions of light years. Somebody asked me, well, how, what, how far is that? And again, a light year is just how far at light traveling at 186,000 miles a second travels in one year, 186,000 miles a second in one year. And it's billions of light years across our, our galaxy. I mean, our, our, across our universe, billions and 100,000 years just across our galaxy. I mean, we, it seems, and, and yet we're down here thinking and continue to walk around like we got, or we got everything figured out and, you know, we, you know, we understand truth. And apart from Christ, just with our own efforts, just to kind of dig down in there and say, well, you know, I took an interesting class when I was in college, and then I, I read a magazine once, an article. Even the most studied people, apart from God's revelation of himself, come up short, and you're still going to live in the futility of your mind. So we have to be renewed. How are we? We're, we're taking this, and we're just... We're just, I, I have to, you know, eat the scroll. I have to cover myself in his righteousness. I have to be renewed in my mind. I have to, I'm part of groups. I got to be honest with you. I'm part of men's groups all week long and some men and women's groups together that I teach in the evening. But I consider myself, I have lots of little communities. And so I'm here, we're reading the word and we're over here reading the word and we're engaged in this. I'm still, my mind is being renewed every day. And then even the things that I, because my flesh is being corrupted, it is a raging battle. You don't just come to Christ and say, okay, tell me what to do. You know, whatever it is and whatever religious activity or even baptism, you know, you just come and then it's over and then you go back to your life. It's a whole radical long and again, I love his words, a studied repudiation of the old nature and everything it stood for. I love Grant's 
description there. I think that's right. It's studied. We have to use our mind. We have to use our mind. Now think about your mind. What is your, I mean, this is natural for us, but I think sometimes we think there's just some kind of supernatural thing that happens, and it is. Don't get me wrong. The new birth experience is radically supernatural, but we are engaged in it, and we have to engage in the process, and we do it mentally. We choose to fully buy in or not. We choose to determine to keep getting up when we fall or fail. We choose to live by the word even when it seems so out of touch with culture. I'm telling you, this, I mean, the word is just, there's, our culture goes, come on. You cannot believe in this ancient document from thousands of years ago. They wrote this in their culture and their, their, their lack of understanding and their ancient people ways. C.S. Lewis called that chronological snobbery. We're snobs thinking they were idiots, but in fact, no, no, no. It seems so out of touch, but we mentally, we go, we go there. We say, no, it's not out of touch. It's the eternal word of God, and this will last even when flowers fade. We choose mentally to decide to get to the root of superficial sin. Not just keep on repenting of the same failings over and over and over. We've got to get to the root, the very causal root of why we fail. And that's work. And that requires a lot of honesty and integrity. And it requires us to quit lying to ourselves when we've got areas of our life that we know are just not true. Okay? So are, are you ready for the next big step? We have to speak truth. So this is Ephesians 4.25. This is our big... People say, oh, we're really moving in Ephesians today. We're going to advance one verse, okay? And I was going to go in, we were going to do anger and lying and all this. I'm saying, you can do that, and you're just going to say anger and lying. Everybody's going to go, oh, of course, we don't lie. We're Christians. Of course, we don't get angry. But we have to go into it a little bit more deeply, right? I think it's just not, it doesn't it grab us enough until we think about it deeply. And I don't like talking about lying, and I'm not lying when I tell you that. I'm just telling you, it's hard to talk about lying, isn't it? It's, I mean, lying? I mean, no, okay, we don't. Ephesians 4.25, therefore, and we always ask, what is therefore, therefore? Why is it therefore? What's it therefore? Therefore, laying aside falsehood. It's so easy, it just rolls off the tongue. Mm, laying aside falsehood, of course. That's what everyone does. Just lay it aside, yes. Lay aside falsehood. But we live in so much falsehood. I do still. I know there are areas in my life I'm just, I, you, know, you want to peek under that? Ah, I don't want to peek under there for a while. That character quality? Uh, eh, I don't want to. Lay it aside. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now, what's really important to understand is why did he say, therefore? Well, the context here, it's always important. Remember, we think about context when we read the Bible. Coma, right? We talk about it all the time. Context, and then we observe it, observation. And then what does it mean? And then we apply it. So context, observation, meaning, and then apply it to your life. I mean, otherwise, we're just religious people. Just, oh, yes. But then we don't really think deeply. There's not a studied repudiation of our old. We just kind of engage with it. So, now think about this. What was the context? The context was... Be in unity. Preserve the bond of peace. Preserve the unity in the body. What's the most challenging thing in anybody? It's not just a church body like a local church body. It's even maybe a Bible study you attend or something you do. Anything Christ-centric that you do will be compromised 
if there's a lack of integrity in terms of telling the truth, both speaking it to one another and then lying to ourselves and lying generically. It is a unity killer. In fact, think about the Ten Commandments. Not to bear false witness against your neighbor. What does that even mean? Well, that may be Bruce and I sit over here and we're sitting there and we're sitting there having a conversation about Paul over here. And he's not there to defend himself. He's not there. And there's there's triangulation going here, which leads to strangulation because it just kills off the unity. And so we're sitting here having this nice conversation or we perceive it's a demonic. And we're sitting there talking about Paul. Paul didn't have a chance to defend himself and he should. And I'm, I'm bearing false witness because I, I may give my perspective and say, well, this is true because, you know, this is how I see it. Well, that's not always true. And so I can sit there and have this conversation. That's bearing false witness against my, that's lying. So if I have an issue or there's something needs to be discussed, and it may, then we bring everything together. And, that's, and there can be unity in that, longevity in unity, sustainability. Or, eh, you know, I just, I like this because it doesn't challenge me. But this will fracture, it will disunify the body. It's brutal. So let's talk about why do we lie. Well, John chapter 8. Now this is going to get right to the core of it. And if you're here with us this morning and you don't know Jesus or on live stream or whatever, and and you don't know Jesus, you're going to be really offended by this. But so were the religious elite of Jesus' day. But it gets to the very core of this idea of lying. John chapter 8, verse 39. Listen, if you want some interesting back and forth, you know, Jesus, oh, little lamb and all that. He's also a roaring lion, and it looks like he's a roaring lion here. He is a king, and he's telling it like it is because he loves them. Sometimes telling the truth is hard. Sometimes it's challenging. I'm a people pleaser by nature. I love to get up here and just tell her, oh, God loves you. And there's just, just you don't, don't worry about anything. And everything's just wonderful and it's Pollyannish kind of thing. I like telling people that because it makes everybody happy short term. But I also recognize that there is a, there's a depth of call that has to be here. And Jesus, because he loved them, at times he was brutally harsh. This gets brutal here. It says, they answered and said to him, verse 39, Abraham is our father. He was having this back and forth dialogue with the religious Jewish leaders. And he says, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, well, if you're Abraham's children, go ahead and do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who is what? Told you the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not telling you like I see it. I'm telling you the truth, and I am the truth. And you can't handle the truth to bring Tom Cruise into it, and uh, Jack Nicholson, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You're doing the deeds of your father. You say Abraham's your father? Uh, You are doing the deeds, but you're doing the deeds of your father. And they said, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, and his name is God. And Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have proceeded forth, and I have come from God. I'm not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying to you? If it is because you cannot hear my word, it is. You are of, now catch that, that's an operative word, O-F, of, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. 
He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is... Now, how much truth is in Satan? No truth in him. Zero. He is the father of lies. The Bible's clear. And he goes on to say, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. It's the very core essence of who he is, to use our nice little... Since we're in California, it's the core essence of who he is. Catch that. That should rattle you. For he is a liar and he is the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why, why don't you believe me? He who, have, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. Now, you go into a culture today because we have this sense of tolerance and every, every opinion is just as valid as any other opinion, which is just to say, by the way, that's an absolute truth. When you say everything is just as valid as everything else, you're making a very, very narrow truth claim when you say that because that's not true, but you're making it absolutely true. It sounds tolerant. Now, I'm all for tolerance in terms of in, you know, engaging people in culture and all that. I'm all for tolerance, but tolerance of ideas, not true. I'm not willing to tolerate all ideas. I'm willing to tolerate people, and I'm willing to engage with people and love people wherever they might be. But that doesn't mean I have to tolerate lies that will keep people in slavery if you put all this together. That's just true. So when you see this, what is this? Well, it's, it's a lie, and it's, it's of Satan's very nature. Now, here's the hard part to digest. If we reject Jesus, Jesus says, not Jeff, Jesus says, then you are of your father, the devil. That's Jesus' words. If you believed in me, you would be of God. You cannot be of God and say Jesus was not who he said he was. You cannot, according to Jesus. Now, you may... You may just sit back and go, forget it. I don't believe in Jesus at all. Well, that's at least there's been a declaration. And Jesus was actually, I look, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Go ahead and say you completely reject me or then completely reject me. But don't say you kind of accept me or believe in me or follow me. But in fact, you don't believe me at all. I mean, you got to realize this is, this is, these are Jesus' words. He wants us to get to the, the very core of it. He has to cut through our religious upbringing, pedigree, and all that other stuff and say, do you believe me? Do you want to follow me? Do you trust me with your lives? And by the way, that issue of trust with God is one of the reasons why we lie. you got to catch this. It is our nature when fallen to lie. Because we are of our father, the devil, and he is the very father of the lie. Okay, that's enough. I'm just going <laughs> to. I know that's hard, but it's so liberating. It's massively liberating. So now catch this, Romans 1.25. What happened at the very core of it? This is the road for everyone in their, what do they do with Jesus? At the end of the day, I, I I said, I told you those, at the end of the day, it's only what did I do with Jesus? Not what I do with Christianity, what did I do with this or that? or What did I do with Jesus? What did I do with Jesus? And it says, for they exchanged, Romans 1.25, the truth of God for a lie. 
And as a result, they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Now, this is what happens. If you reject Jesus, you buy into a lie. Once you buy into a lie, you are now walking disconnected from the Father. Think of that umbilical cord to the heavenly dimension. You no longer have that. That's the Holy Spirit, the connection between you and God, the power of Christ living on the inside of you. You now are relegated back to the futility of your mind. You're walking again in your own ideas the best you can make it out to be. I just don't trust that because I am so fickle. I told you this morning, I'm fickle in my own emotions and sometimes I'm cruising along and I just, I don't feel it today. I'm not there and I, my mind goes different places and I've got to recenter always and come back and go, okay, Jesus, forgive me, set me straight, repent, turn. When I fail, when I struggle, come back to him, come back to him, come back to him. Or I disconnect and when I disconnect, I will begin to worship the creation the creature rather than the creator. Because now what I, all I have is the creation left. If I've done away with the creator, all I've got is the creation. So I can worship money. I can worship beauty. I can worship, I, I can worship women or I can worship men or I can worship power. Or I can, but it's all, again, relegated to a little mud heap called earth that's spinning out of, in rebellion to God. And it just will be. And so I've exchanged that connection with the creator of the universe and I said, I'll just, well, I'll do my own thing. And I may even go to church for whatever reason, but that's what I'm going to do. Now, this sets up a pattern of falsehood that defines the, our lives. Once we've disconnected, there will be a pattern of falsehood that will follow us everywhere, whether or not we consider ourselves honest abes or not. It just will be part of our nature, and we won't even realize, understand, and we'll do it just to get through. Think of the ways that we do it and why we do it. Well, maybe we feel like we have to manipulate circumstances. You know, sometimes in business, you just got to do what you got to do. And sometimes you have to fabricate things. You have to tell lies. Uh, we may feel like we have to manage people's opinions of us. If, so to lie is just to, you know, it's to fudge a little bit. And let me tell you something. We're all, well, I'm guilty of this because we're all... Okay, what are the metrics for your life? Well, if you're a pastor, how many people are coming to your church? It means how successful are you? Well, that's a ridiculous metric, number one. But I'm quick to buy into it. You know, you kind of sneak over here. How many? What's the attendance of your church? Oh, we're growing. Everything's great. You know, this is fantastic and all that. Well, what if our attendance is down? I mean, our attendance is down. I mean, who wants to hear that? But as we'll see, the Bible's very clear. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I'm very thankful uh, when we hired Mike Crane early on as in youth. He said, look, let's get our metrics. Let's get exactly our numbers. Let's get our things so we can, we can track this over time and all that. And I was kind of, ah, you know, I, I kind of like to, you know, just say everything's great and our numbers are huge and all that. No, I, get, give me the facts. Let it be yes. Let it be no. Here's where we are. We have a piece of land, we don't. We have, we're buying a building, we're not buying a building. We're, you know, it's a new church. It's a, uh, just tell it like it is. Just be honest. But we tend to want to manipulate those circumstances. Why? It makes us look better in the opinions of other people. So we tend to fudge the truth. Sometimes we always feel like we've got to cover up. And if you didn't see the news this week, Mr. Kraft, that's a big deal. 
just win the Super Bowl. 77-year-old owner of the multi-billionaire gets caught in a sting operation, a prostitution sting operation. He'll do everything he can to cover that one up, you can be sure. But we are. We run for cover. We all have a tendency. Our flesh is like a cockroach. It runs for the dark. Lights come on. And then lastly, we just feel like we have to get ahead. I mean, we just do. Now, why? what's at the core of all this? It is a lack of relational integrity with God because we don't trust him to provide for us. We just don't. We don't trust him to protect us. We don't, we don't submit and crucify our old identities and say, okay, Lord, that's why we're not transparent. That's why we all run around, you know, hiding. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They didn't trust God, so what did they do? They hid behind the bushes. And they heard the voice. And then they took those bushes because now they knew they were naked and then they covered themselves. And that's how we are. And that has been endemic in human history for all of times. And we, now we come to Christ and say, speak the truth. Don't just not lie, but speak the truth. Now we have God's nature in us. Does God lie? That's the question I want to ask you this morning. Hebrews 6.18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. It's part of his nature to be a truth teller. So Jesus being God says, I am the truth. He's like, everything in my nature is true. Everything I say, and I only, do what I, do, I only do what I see the Father doing, and I only speak what I hear the Father doing. Because why? Because God is a truth teller by his very nature. It's impossible for him to lie. It's part of who he is. It's his DNA. Titus 1-2 says, In the hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised long ago. So now we have this battle. We have God in us. That's the new birth being born again, having the seed of Christ on the inside of you. You then get baptized, which is a representative picture, a symbolic picture of going down into the water, leaving your old life behind, and then springing up out of the water to new life. Now you're clothed in Christ, but we still have our flesh in this life, not until we die and go to be with him and have a resurrected body, and there will be this tension, this undeniable battle going back and forth for the rest of your life. Our goal is that our flesh continued to be submitted to our spirit and that my friends is called spiritual maturity spiritual maturity is your submitting your flesh to your spirit letting your body be your slave rather than your master it is a turned it upside down you were slaves to your flesh before and to your lying nature of your old father. You have now come into a new family and your new father, he cannot tell a lie. And it's our work and our ob object, our, our very core of who we are is to say, I want to be like my father in the likeness of God. So when we read that earlier, to be in the likeness of God means what? To be in his likeness. We can't even lie. It's just not even part of us anymore. That takes work, takes renewal of our mind. Hopefully we're doing that right now. And then in closing, Colossians 3 verse 9, do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices, with its evil nature, if you will. 
So in closing, let's discuss this. What does it then mean to proactively speak truth? So remember, there's a taking off, don't lie anymore, and then there's a proaction here, which then says, okay, you're not just stripping off, but you're actually putting on. Let's speak truth. We have to love and have the best interests of the person in our minds, not revenge. Let me just tell you, revenge eliminates you from being one that God uses to speak truth. Okay? That's important to know. Are you with me? And revenge, revenge, if you feel vengeful towards someone, you're not the person to speak truth into that person's life. Jesus never felt revenge towards these people. He loved them. He was speaking out of love. It was hard, some of the things he said. And again, I've always said, do you really want Jesus to come over to dinner? Well, sit down, Jesus, we're so happy to see you. And I would be, I'd be so happy. Then I'd think, oh, no, I hope he doesn't start just telling me like it. Well, I, I guess I hope he does. That's what he does in prayer and reading the word. He speaks to you graciously. He's speaking to us graciously. But it's also kind of terrifying to think having dinner with Jesus. I used to say that all the time. Who, if there was one person in the whole world that you could have dinner with, who would it be? I said, well, it's simple. It'd be Jesus. And then I started thinking about it. <laughs> And I go, well, yes. Part of me would just, you know, I'd be at worshiping him. And of course I would. I mean, there's no, there's, don't get me wrong. Of course I would. But then there'd be part of me that would be going, nah, what is he going to say? Because he speaks truth. And that's what I'm saying earlier. Do we really want the truth? Yes, I do want the truth. I do. But give it to me gently. Give it to me gently. You know, I mean, as your pastor, I want to give it to you gently. And it's not me, because I'm, I'm certainly no one to judge anybody. But we come to this, and we, 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 we look at the authority of the word, and we go, okay, Lord, we trust you. We also must be willing to, to be rejected and then wait for the fruit. If you're going to be a truth teller, sometimes people are going to reject you, and you just have to trust now, there needs to be the right season. There needs always the right motivation and love. All those things have to be true. But if you find yourself in a position to do that and the timing is spirit-led, there's time to tell the truth. And sometimes you're going to be rejected. That's just part of it. As, if Jesus was, so will we be rejected. We always have to have the community of mind. The community has to be at the core is this going to provide unity to the community? Again, community being common unity. Is this going to help the common unity or is this going to divide? Sometimes things need to be challenged but not divided. Typically, if you get church splits and all the different things that happen, through, you know, just in the course of human fallenness, could that have been overcome by truth-telling, gracious, loving truth-telling early on? Probably so. And then last, we have to understand that it, we also might be wrong in our assessment of the situation. That's an important caveat to this because it's, well, I told the truth. And the, today, the language is, I told my truth. Well, <laughs> there's not my truth and your truth. There's truth. And that's why often it's important if you'll see in a community, it, there, is, there is leadership. There's a plurality of the elders, if you will. There's different things. You, you see that in the Acts 15. They came together and... They were trying to get to the truth of it, 
And then they all made a case, and then, and then they kind of, as seemed right to them, post-Holy Spirit. Before that, they, would, they, would, they didn't throw dice. They didn't have dice back. They didn't like dice. All right, no, you know, do that. Draw straws, you know, I'll take this. Ah, you short into the straw. I mean, they'd use the ephod and all this. But now, today, we come together, and we, we make cases, and, we, and then there's a mutual submission to each other. It's part of a humble community, and we can access truth through that. So as mature followers of Jesus, how do we, and I'll close with it, James 5.12 and Matthew 5.37, it's this picture of just, now they were, it was a slightly, contextually slightly different because there was a, there was a tendency among religious Jews to, well, there would be, yeah, I'd make a statement to you, but I didn't trust your statement until you made this oath and that oath and this oath towards God. It was like a, a song and dance thing going over here. And, and, and essentially the core of this is Jesus saying, you don't need all that. What, are you going to lie to him? Because, well, I didn't swear on the altar. I didn't make an oath that was like a really religious oath. And so this was essentially what Jesus was getting to. But there's a deeper principle here. Let your yes be yes. Don't dance around. Don't try to color it. Don't try to, you know, th- these are the facts. Here's the answer. It's an, the answer is yes or the answer is no. I, I, I very much appreciate that. Rather than just keeping everything kind of smoky so it looks like, well, who knows what the real truth is and everybody feels like they get away. It's a smoke screen. That's what that means. Don't do that. Just be, let your yes be yes or your no be no. So in closing, let's just say this. Here's what we know. Satan is the father of lies. If we're engaged in lying, even if we're born again, if we're engaged in lying, we're buying into his program and plan and nature. We have God's seed in us because he cannot lie. We have to let that overcome and dominate and become truth tellers and not liars. And when we lie, even when we fudge it, when we don't don't look down and just and we don't live according to the, the straight and narrow. When that happens, we are actually complicit with Satan's activities in the earth. Now, that's strong, that's strong language. If we don't, we compromise the potential for unity long term down here. And when unity is compromised, we are not as effective. We will not be as effective in this valley. We, there's no way we'll be as effective in this valley. If we don't have unity, we can't have chaos ruling in here and then go out and say, hey, look what we have to export. Look at this great kingdom life. And then they come here and it feels, you can feel the atmosphere change. It's chaotic. It's not, it's not together. It's not unified. And when that is the case, people aren't going to be drawn to Jesus and we are culpable. So is lying important? Yes. Is truth telling important? Well, I should say truth telling is important. Lying is important not to do it, but truth-telling is vital. It's the very nature of our God. We can't be wishy-washy. No more smoke screens. Why? It's a compromise unity. Yeah, I think it's the great lubricant of the kingdom. It just is. It makes the gears keep turning, you know? Truth-telling makes it just keep turning, and we will see others in weeks to come. We'll deal with the issues of anger, because why? Because Paul is saying, Anger, lying, all this, this is part of you, this is part of the old stuff. It's been crucified. 
I see some dour faces, but I will tell you, I knew this was going to be kind of a, you know, I was thinking, well, I want to play a clip and, you know, tell some jokes and all that kind of thing. They're like, you can't. Not, this is one of those sermons that you just kind of got to, you just got to grin and just, okay, I believe that, Lord. And so here's the question, application. So we've got context, we've got observation. What does this mean? I've given you the, my best take on it. But at the end of the day, how are you going to apply this in your life? Where are there areas of your life today that you're like, enough is enough? I have to be forthright. I need to be fair. I need to tell it like it is. I need my yes to be yes. I'm not going to live in a haze anymore. I'm not going to be running for cover. I trust Lord, the Lord to protect me and to provide for me. Father, forgive me. So let's pray. Father, we, we ask you to, as a community, people are dying out there. People are dying because they're listening to the lies of Satan. He is a liar. He is a liar. Father, you're, you're, you are, you, your very nature is truth. Father, forgive us. Just tell the Lord, forgive me of stretching the truth, of bold-faced line of cover-ups. Lord, forgive me. I want to be like you. I want to take on the likeness of God. Help us. Help me, Jesus. Help me. Send the Holy Spirit. Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. There's healing in this, folks. There's healing in this. This is not just something you do because that's what Christian protocol is. This brings life to you. There's no telling how free your life could be if you could ever just actually tell the truth. Father, forgive us. And as the Holy Spirit put that on your heart, some of you may be challenged by Satan today, maybe even a, a thought of maybe wanting to commit suicide. Maybe a thought of cheating on your spouse. Or maybe you're in the middle of cheating on your spouse. And cut it off. Get it done with. Re, you know, let, just trust the Lord with it. We're going to, Lord, we, we need your help. In Jesus' name. Let's, let's, let's close with this worship song. We played it once a number of about four, five, six months ago. I think it's really poignant. I think it'll drive the point home. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. Let's close with this song. <laughs>